Singapore approved a commercial sale two years ago. South Korea created a regulation-free zone. The leaders at COP28 tried its chicken for the first time. And Celex built the first production facility in China. Israel received nearly $1 billion in investment since 2020. Believer Meats, one of its star companies, built the largest production facility in the world in North Carolina, which will produce 22 million pounds of meat annually when they're given the go-ahead. The FDA in America has confirmed Upside Foods chicken is safe to eat. The Dutch government invested 60 million euro this last year. So, cultivated meat has gone from science fiction concept food to a reality meat alternative. Well, I spoke to three industry experts and enthusiasts about their predictions for the future of the industry and for the future of animals themselves, especially once we've stopped eating them all. Welcome to the Future of Food podcast with TQ. We're discussing lab-grown meat with Elliot Schwartz, lead scientist at the Good Food Institute, and Carolina Oliveira, a writer and consultant with a Master's in Food Studies from the University of Gastronomic Sciences in Palenzo, Italy. She has published articles about food technologies, food production, distribution, uh, and marketing. Welcome to you both. The first question I'd like to ask is, what do you think are going to be the most surprising changes in protein sources over the next 10 years? Yeah, um, you know, I think in a 10-year time frame, I think what will be, you know, sort of new to consumers and that we'll be seeing more of are, are hybrid products. Um, so... By hybrid, I mean essentially combining ingredients that are produced through different technologies um, to create sort of new meat alternative products. I think uh, the way to think about this, um, which I don't think a lot of people realize, is if you take you know the Impossible Burger from Impossible Foods, which a lot of folks are probably familiar with, that's actually one of the first examples of a hybrid product on the market because it takes these plant ingredients and it supplements them with an ingredient from fermentation, uh, that soy-like hemoglobin protein that sort of adds the flavor and the aroma of meat that uh, seems to be sort of working well for them in the marketplace. And there are a lot of other companies now that are taking similar approaches using fermentation or using cultivated animal cells where you sort of mix those in at different percentages uh, into you know, your otherwise plant-based product um, to create you know, more, uh, you know, hopefully tastier meat, meat alternatives. So I think that's what we'll start to see a lot more of in the next 10 years. Um, very similar to what you saw with hybrid cars where, you know, a lot of these technologies, these newer technologies like cultivated meat, pretty expensive right now to produce. So one of the ways to get them and introduce them into the marketplace is by creating a, a hybrid version of that where the cost is sort of um, diluted uh, through the, the more affordable plant-based ingredients. I've seen some predictions where they say, um, um, uh, especially for milk products, that essentially within the next 10 years, we, you know, there will be no more kind of dairy farms. That, you know, that will be a thing of the past. And uh, maybe within the next 25 years, that will be an end of factory farming or at the end of meat farming um do you think it's inevitable that that is going to happen that that uh, in the next sort of 20 years will be the end of farming as we know it's kind of dairy farming and animal farming 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's always hard to put exact timelines on on these things. Um, you know, I think I, I sort of view this shift of, you know, sort of where we're at now, where the majority of meat is, you know, as we produce it today, um, and a shift that's sort of like a generational shift um, toward these alternative proteins. And so if you think about you know, a generation being 25 years or so, I think that's when you'll start to see, you know, pretty substantial differences in, in the marketplace. But I don't think that, um, you know, conventional animal farming and, and dairy industries are going to be completely eliminated, especially on a, on a 20 year time frame. I think it's, it's, it's much longer than that. I think we will see, you know, steady declines, um, especially where the, you know, in regions where these technologies, uh, are going to be adopted, um, you know, sooner rather than later. But at the same time, you you have conventional farming in other parts of the world that that's going to be sort of increasing uh, in those timelines as it's going to take a little bit longer, most likely for these newer technologies to to trickle into those other places in the world. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's sort of like with any technology, there's, uh, you know, sort of a diffusion in society of how it gets adopted. You have S curves and things like that, um, but it's very hard to predict the exact timing of things. I mean, a lot of, a lot of things can influence that timeline. Um, I think for me, I, I sort of look at electric vehicles as, as maybe a proxy. Um, you know, I know it's not food, but uh, you know, sort of what we're seeing today where you had electric vehicles, you know, they were very expensive at first, but now they're coming down in costs, they're being adopted by sort of wealthier nations at a pretty high rate where it's sort of reaching these tipping points um, where you now have conventional sort of uh, manufacturers, car manufacturers going all in on electric saying they won't produce, uh, in, um, you know, combustion vehicles in 2030 or 2035. You have cities or even countries banning the sale of that. So, I mean, I think similar things could happen with meat um, or different types of meats, for instance, you know, beef, if it's, you know, the most uh, detrimental from a climate perspective, I think you could start seeing that sort of shift um, in policies and in, in government regular uh, sort of yeah, government policies um, and incentives for these these newer technologies, definitely within a 20 year time frame. What do you think, Maria? Do you think it's inevitable in the next 20 years that kind of dairy farming at least might be a thing of the past, might be kind of look at that and Mm, I think it's pretty much unusual for in 20 years for all the all animal farming to be gone, um, especially because we are talking about um, we are not talking about just a regulation for uh, Europe or North America. We are also talking about South America or China that consumes a lot of uh, uh, traditional proteins just as uh, dairy or meat uh, and it's a very important part of the of the nutrition basis for those uh, for those countries uh, and continents for itself uh, so I don't think in 20 years it's going to be gone but um, as as I am in in Europe right now I I can see that that is it's it's been a shift for the the policies um to regulate and to to try to to make it more into 
into something that it's um, a choice of the consumer to uh, to have dairy, but they they have more chances into into consuming other types of uh, other types of plant-based proteins. So I think it's now it's a it's a matter of mostly uh, a choice. So I don't think in 20 years it's going to be much of a change in that aspect of being uh, totally regulated. Okay. It might be more common for people to to be eating uh, lab-grown meat, but you know, they might have um, you know, animal-reared meat for holidays, for, uh, for Christmas or, or, for, uh, for, or for or for Valentine's Day or something. And what do you what do you look forward to most um, about the change in eating habits about the about future proteins and lab grown meat? Is is there something particularly that makes you? Um, I think mostly for the, this type of shift now. I think it's uh, I'm mostly curious to see how it's to, it's going to be the. Uh, the consumer behavior, how how people are going to see, uh, especially lab-grown meat when it gets to the to the shelves. Um, to me, that it's uh, it's going to be mostly um, amazing to see and also terrifying because uh, probably a bad reaction uh, from the public can be pretty much devastating for the for the industry um so i think it's it's going to be a very important moment for the for the industry for lab grown lab grown meat when it gets to the shelves i think yeah well i i mean i don't know what your your personal uh consumption habits are i i know that you know it's sort of i i went vegetarian four and a half years ago when I started this this job because I felt like I sort of needed to walk the walk if I was going to talk the talk um although I'm not fully vegan um but I, I think you know a lot of people feel like um you know there's some there's some sense of guilt around uh consuming animals especially animals that were raised in, in factory farms and, and that sort of thing and so I mean I think this you know, these, these alternative protein technologies really offer the opportunity to consume meat without guilt. And I think that is a, a really uh, thing to look, look forward to, because I mean, going back to your, you know, your sort of 50 year time timeline. I mean, I think that sort of time frame is, is long enough where we might, you know, those, those children and, and those people, um, you know, they might be growing up and look back at and say, like, the way that we produce meat was a, a horror show, uh, like an abomination. Um, I, I think that very, that could very much be true. Um, and I, I guess the other side of the coin is, um, you know, these offer a lot of benefits in other areas, uh, especially related to, to climate. So, you know, especially when it comes to um, land use uh, and, and mitigating land use and using that as an opportunity to uh, restore ecosystems, both on land and, and in the sea. Um, I think that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to as well. I think, you know, since I've been born all, you know, I think 
and, and during my lifetime, most of the coral reefs in the, on the world are going to be mostly disappeared. I think that's a really sad thing. And so, you know, if we can use these technologies to, um, you know, restore those ecosystems and regain land that we currently dedicate to uh, animal agriculture um, and commercial fishing and that sort of thing, um, then that's, uh, I think, something to look forward to for future generations, for sure. Absolutely. Great. Yes. Um, for the next question, I, um, I did tell you both in advance because this is quite a, a difficult question. I asked you um, which dystopian film or other film, doesn't have to be dystopian, or book, do you think is closest to how you think perhaps we'll be consuming food in the future? Uh, now, I don't have an answer to this, because, <laughs> but I was, I was curious to think what you two might come up with. Gone. Who else? Yeah, I. I mean, so this one, you know, it's sort of. Uh, I'm not much of a, a sci-fi reader, but I, you know, just being in this industry, you hear people mention examples of things. So, you know, obviously, there's. Um, I, I think like the Star Trek replicator is, is something that um, you know is sort of comes to mind as as something that could be actually. Uh, a realistic possibility in the future with, you know, when you combine things like 3D printing and these other biofabrication methods, you know, you could say, I want a steak and I want, you know, I actually went to a conference recently. There's a company called Stakeholder Foods that's based out of Israel. Um, and, you know, what they're doing is uh, bioprinting uh, animal cells and they're starting with, with steak. And you can sort of say, you know, I want 10% fat or I want 30% fat and yeah. you can sort of like control the marbling and that sort of thing. So, um, and then it prints it right in front of you. So, you know, I don't know, I'm not too familiar with the Star Trek lore and how m much that perfectly maps on to what they discuss in, in the, the books and TV shows and whatnot. But um, from my uh, perception of what it is, I think that that could be close uh, to something that exists in the future. Yeah. It sounds exciting, doesn't it? Maria, what do you think? Uh, well, in that aspect, I just expect that it's not something like soil and, soil and green, uh, that it's pretty much the, like the maximum uh, reference that people has uh, in terms of sci-fi and, and food-related uh, materials. Um, but I was recently watching again uh, Blade Runner, and there's a scene where uh, Heron Sofor eats in a noodle bar. Yeah. And it's pretty much interesting because it's like in a, in a sci-fi scenario. And, uh, and I remember in that film, it's all about, um, it's all sort of uh, kind of fish products. Yes. Slimy fish. Um, and, and it's pretty much, I think it's pretty much doable to, to see that in a, in a future where the planet's overly populated and yeah uh, i think it's interesting to a, a little bit like what you were saying elliot but but you know like a a machine um you know you know like a vending a vending machine where you can say you know i want a part elephant and part zebra steak with kind of this much fat and this much protein and you know and you can you know, have the kind of texture of, of snake and the, and the, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it kind of baffles the mind to think what might 
be available in 50 years from now. Um, a common response uh, when I mention lab-grown meat is what will happen to all the cows and sheep and chickens if we don't eat them? And I have heard that from people. Um, so can you tell me what you think might happen to them all if we stop eating them? Maria, what do you think? Well, it, it's pretty much interesting what's going to happen because most of those, especially chickens, for example, um, they have been um, basically uh, evoluted in a way for to be replicated and eaten. So uh, the question is, it's, it's interesting, but at, at the same time, it's, it's an easy answer. It's the type of, well, at, with time, they, the replication of those species, it's not going to be the same. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty much the, the idea of uh, eating better, I think. Um, I think with the advances in, in, in food technology and plant-based, I think the idea is for it's for carnivores to eat better. So uh, I don't think the animals are going to disappear at all. Uh, so chickens and and cows and sheep they are going to keep existing. It's just a way of uh, breeding them and replicating those species. There, it's going to change. Yeah, I I think you know, I, and I I have seen this as well in comment sections and, and things like that. Um, I, it always seems to come up and I, it always struck me as a bit of an odd sort of question um, that people sort of like care so much about the lives of the animals if they're all gone, but not necessarily all of the lives that are lost um, in, you know, from, from farming. But, but nevertheless, I, I think like, you know, our world and data, the website that sort of you know, sort of collates a lot of information from different studies. They have a, a really interesting page where they they show basically the biomass distribution on Earth. And about, you know, if you take up all of the mammals on Earth, um, about a third of them are humans and about a third of them are cows. Um, and only 4% of the biomass of, of animals are wild animals. Um, so, and, and if you look at birds, chickens are like basically 70% of the the bird biomass is, is just strictly chickens. Um, so yeah, I would agree with Maria. I mean, I think these things don't go to zero, um, but they just go to much, much, much less. And I think that is perfectly fine. I, one of the other things that I see online that's sort of semi-related to this is, you know, you, you have arguments that say, you know, we need ruminant animals on these marginal lands to, you know, sort of maintain these ecosystems. Um, you know, that's one argument that people make for uh, beef production, let's say, you know, we can't grow any other food on this land. But I, I mean, I think it's the, the assumption there is that somehow all of the ruminant animals uh, will just like disappear with alternative proteins being consumed by humans. It's, it's more just like, okay, these cows or these uh, buffalo or deer, uh, whatever it may be, um, they they just go and, and live their lives normally and, and we don't consume them. Um, and it's sort of like, just let nature be nature. Um, so I think, um, that is sort of the scenario I imagine, which I think is a good one. You know, you have these animals that still exist, uh, you know, maybe with the exception of these breeds that are, you know, can't live past, uh, 10 weeks without toppling over their, their own bodies. Um, 
<laughs> those those specific breeds of chickens might disappear. But I, I think that's um, for the better. When people sort of say to you, it's not natural to uh, eat meat grown in a lab. What is your response to that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this this sort of thing comes up a lot with um, new technologies, especially with new technologies in, you know, in the food food system. I guess one one thing that people should understand is that, I, you know, lab grown meat, quote unquote, is, is sort of a misnomer because, uh, you know, when it's produced, it will be produced in a factory that a lot of other food is produced in. We don't call them lab-grown Doritos or lab-grown uh, pretzels or anything like that. Uh, you know, we just call them pretzels or, or Doritos. And, and I think here we'll just and eventually call it meat. Of course, we need a descriptor to sort of differentiate from the existing product. And so we prefer the term cultivated, which we think sort of describes the process a little bit and it enables, you know, people to understand that you're cultivating or growing animal cells in individual uh, vessels. Um, but nevertheless, you know, people will still look at that and say, you know, this is not natural. Um, but I, I think I would sort of, you know, flip that on its head and say, you know, the, the way we currently consume meat is, is far from natural. I mean, we just talked about how the chickens have been genetically, you know, sort of bred to basically, you know, grow to such a size that they can't support their own body weight. They have all these different difficulties, uh, you know, supporting their cardiovascular systems etc. Like those birds wouldn't exist at all in the way in the world. And yet those those support, you know, the, the poultry industry as it exists today. So I think, um, you know, perspectives shift with, with new technologies that you always have people that, you know, a new technology comes along and they're very abrasive to it. Uh, the example that I like to point out is that, um, you know, we used to gather uh, ice here in the United States by cutting it uh, from lakes in the winter time and shipping it around the world. Um, and that's how people got ice in, in warmer months of the year. And uh, then eventually the, you know, refrigerators and freezer technologies was created and people would call that artificial ice. And there were people that fought against it uh, because it was unnatural. It wasn't the real thing. And of course, once, you know, the cost of that sort of refrigeration or freezing technology made sense, then the market flipped and then no one cared. And then it was eventually that was ice and ice is ice. And here it's the same sort of thing on a molecular level, on a cellular level, what we're making are animal cells, uh, the same ones that you're eating today, but just grown in a different way. And I think people will eventually come, come around to it. Interesting. Yes. Maria, what do you think? Well, I think it's mostly something that we can, avoid that shift the change because uh, like in 30 years we we are the population is mostly doubling so it's needed to think of new ways of uh of having protein so if it's not plant-based um then it's needed to be uh considered into uh the lab grown um, proteins and it's inevitable for for it to reach the markets and for it to be debatable and for it to be uh, reached to the consumer uh, and I think it's I think it's going to be great yes great okay well thank you very much for talking to me this evening or this afternoon depending where you are uh, 
That's Elliot Schwartz and Maria Oliveira. Have I said that right, Oliveira? Yeah, it's almost there, but almost it's Oliveira, there, but it's it's almost there. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much. And um, that is the end of the interview.